The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tasking. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a stream freedom audio bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And we are being joined. He's a paranormalist. Uh, and if I remember seeing right on the website, you're a doctor. And we'll talk into, about that here in a bit. You're also an actor, uh, both live, live action and voiceover. Um, and I am talking about Jean-Pierre Gilinoli. Gignoli. Gignoli. <laughs> I had it right before show and I ruined it after. I apologize. Gignoli. There we go. Yeah, so, how, go. so how's everyone doing? Not bad. And- California, it's pretty warm right now, but I'm doing pretty well. I understand that. Warm here in Massachusetts, too. Yeah. It's been screaming here in Florida. Definitely. <laughs> um, if I remember right, speaking of Florida and California, you said you worked at Disneyland for a while? That's correct. I did. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll get into that a little later because I work at Walt Disney World here. So nice. we might have been, <laughs> we might have been castmates or cast members at the same time on different coasts. Um, yeah, you were just recently in the film Ford versus Ferrari. That's correct. Yeah. As, as part of the Ferrari pit crew. That's correct. Yeah. I was a Ferrari factory worker as well as part of the main pit crew for the Le Mans main race. So tell us a little bit about um, your role in the film and how you got involved with the film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was kind of a cool thing. Uh, funny enough, I'll relate it back to Disney a little bit. Uh, I wasn't really feeling fulfilled by my job there. I'd been there for 10 years, you know, it was a steady job, uh, you know, and, and benefits and all that good stuff, but not fulfilling as a performer, as an actor. I wasn't really getting involved enough in entertainment aspect. And I finally auditioned for this one thing, went for a fitting and all that kind of stuff and never heard back. Uh, didn't get a straight answer, unfortunately. I don't like the way management works there. And I decided uh, the day that I didn't get the answer to my question that I was quitting and I was just going to pursue my dreams and forget about working a day job anymore. <laughs> Literally the moment I decided my last day, uh, it was on, a, I think, a Friday or a Saturday. And then uh, after the weekend, on Monday, I get a call randomly. Uh, they found me on LA Casting, which is a casting website I use. You know, my agent has me on that, but I also submit for jobs myself. 
uh, casting for Forbes before I found me. He said I looked very Italian, and I am Italian. I speak Italian, so all of that I'm sure helped. And they were like, "Hey, would you like to be part of this period piece?" And uh, it sounded like it was just going to be maybe extra work at first, but they kept calling me back and asking me different questions. Uh, do I speak Italian? Do I know about cars? Which both I actually do know quite a bit about cars, and I speak fluent Italian. So, uh, yeah, ended up going for a fitting, um, you know, they said I was going to be featured and up getting all my SAG vouchers. Um, I did a factory scene we shot out here in LA. Uh, and, uh, that was a lot of fun. I got to do a scene with John Bernthal. So right away I was getting bumped oh, cool. up to do like stuff with major yeah. actors film. Uh, John Bernthal was an incredible actor and just a nice person, very friendly with everybody. We talked about our scene together and like, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, James Mangold, because I was doing such a big scene, directed me, like came out, told me what he wanted me to do and all oh, that. So I was awesome. And, yeah, it was for a young actor. And I had been focusing more on my music and stand up comedy at the time. I hadn't been doing a lot of acting for about maybe five years. I haven't really like really pursued it hardcore. Um, so having that time off just gave me a boost of confidence and energy to get back into acting because, um, you know, I did two weeks of shooting for that first initial run on Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, they all knew my name on set. They'd always ask me to do stuff. They really liked me a lot. They liked what I did with John Bernthal. Um, you know, I, I took direction while I knew what I was doing basically. Um, so it was a couple weeks. I quit Disney's. So I wasn't working. I was just kind of hanging out, trying to require more, uh, acting jobs and stuff. And I finally get a call from cast and like, Hey, we want you to come back for another month and a half of shooting. Uh, for the actual Lamaze race. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds great. So we ended up uh, going out. They had built a whole set on uh, on this uh, abandoned airport uh, strip. Um, so to look that, like the actual Lamaze, you know, background. Oh, wow. thing, yeah, it was incredible, the work they put into that. Um, so I did a month and a half of shooting there. I was part of the Ferrari pit crew. So whenever the Ferrari cars pitted, you know, we filled up the gas. We yelled a bunch of stuff, running around crazy, because Matt Damon stole one of our stopwatches, or at least his character did, and this happened in real life, too. Um, so we couldn't, you know, check our times or whatever. So, you know, Matt Damon does that, and we're the main pit crew, and we're there freaking out. Our, our pit boss and us are just running around screaming in Italian, trying to figure out what happened. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that, the main race for Lamaze, we did uh, a lot of stuff uh, with regards to... Obviously, the guy who played uh, Enzo Ferrari, uh, the main Italian guy, you know, the head boss of Ferrari yeah. at the time. And uh, we did stuff with uh, Matt Damon and um, Christian Bale as well. So it was constantly working around those big actors and kind of reacting to them and what they were doing and trying to win the race and freaking out because we had so much bad luck. You know, historically speaking, Ferrari had a really bad time at that race. Yeah. Uh, and up winning so uh it was it was a lot of fun it was a great experience i got to get a lot of practice on set around big actors and you know like i said everybody on set knew my name james mangold remembered me and recognized me um and it was just it was really fun and a boost to my confidence as an actor and really got me back into acting and i started even procuring more acting jobs after that because obviously it's a big film even talking about it people were just like amazed well it was oscar nominated too wasn't it exactly yeah so and then first film you're on is Oscar nominated. Where do you go from here? Hopefully up still. Yeah, exactly. Up. I'm just going to keep pushing, keep moving forward. I've, I've done commercials and TV shows since then. Obviously, COVID has slowed down a lot of my progress because I was procuring a lot of acting gigs before the shutdown happened. But Hollywood's slowly backing up, uh, you know, opening back up right. and they're following a lot of the guidelines. So it looks like the jobs are starting to come back a little bit. So I'm hoping to oh, get active cool. in cool. the scene. But uh, it's still a little slow, but it's great. It gives me time to be creative on my own. Uh, one of the cool things, too, is you can actually see me on the movie poster. So a lot of my friends were hitting me up. Hey, man, I, I can notice that jawline anywhere. Cool. I can tell. <laughs> like, oh, 
cool. Like, not only am I in the movie and you're prominently displayed, but, uh, you know, to be seen on the movie poster. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was a Ford movie, so they did cut out most of the Ferrari stuff, uh, which makes sense. You know, they wanted to really build up Ford and show that part of the story. But, I mean, you can't take away the experience I had. You know, I'm eligible to join SAG now, the Screen Actors Guild. So Sweet. everything was just a huge cool. stepping stone cool. for me as an actor. It was, it was a lot of fun. I was gonna say one of my favorite scenes during the whole Le Mans race is when um, Shelby Cobra or Shelby when Shelby I can't remember Shelby's first name. Cobra. No, I was the, <laughs> that was the, that was his car team. Um, but when when Shelby dropped the lug nut on the uh, yeah, and, and all of a sudden all you guys are scrambling on, uh, where did that come from? Exactly, we're freaking out. Where did that come from? What's going on? I, yeah, it, it was awesome. But no, that that race and in, in or that movie in general it was pretty awesome. I when we had talked uh, when our our friend Steve hooked us up um i hadn't seen it yet but i watched it this past week or this week leading up to the show that way it was fresh and um i regret not seeing it sooner (laughs) this is one that i will watch and watch again and i will put on that channel surf stop list oh ford versus ferrari yep i'm stopping i'm watching this yeah definitely actually playing right now on hbo too coincidence we're recording that yeah, right it's on yeah no what's really cool about that movie is we were all working on that we all had a sense that this was going to be something special just on set there was that energy we all i mean yeah granted we have some big actors with us obviously and we're doing a lot of big stuff with big actors but it was just the feeling of the script the energy of the actors what were we, we were portraying how right. it how it came out we all just had a feeling that we were part of something big and, and once we saw the film we were all like yeah this definitely was um those one of those projects that you're like proud to be a part of and have such a you know yeah, a connection yeah. so. that's got to feel real that must be that must be just amazing to be in something like that and just be know it's something you can be proud of that it's gonna do so well yes definitely true yeah it definitely uh, i mean like i said on set we had that feeling that we're part of something special and then once it came out once my friends are seeing me in the movie and on the poster, everybody's hitting me up. Is this you? Is this you? Because mostly I have facial hair, <laughs> but obviously I had to look like I was in the 60s. So I had to shave and, you know, right. get my hair done, makeup, all that kind of stuff as an actor. And sometimes people don't recognize me, but a lot of people who know me uh, are like, oh, that's Jean Pierre. You could tell by the way he stands, mm-hmm. the way he looks, all that. So they recognize me right away. So it was, yeah, it was definitely an incredible feeling to be a part of that. And it reinvigorated me as an actor. And I really, um, really pushed forward. I got a new agent who gave me an incredible contract is getting me big auditions for movies and stuff so it's like it really oh, wow. a role for me to just keep moving forward is that domino that just kept all yeah. the other dominoes falling so did you get any acting did you get any acting tips or uh from like christian bale or matt damon or any of the others uh james uh uh yeah james mangle directed me so um at the first big scene i had with john bernthal where i was interacting with him uh james mangle was just like because i was uh, the final guy on the assembly line for the ferrari engine so I was actually like finishing up the final touches. So James Mangle like physically touched me and was like, I want you to really get into the engine and like, you know, really be working on it. You know, and you don't notice John until he's like right behind you. And then that's when you react to him and you guys have that little interaction. So um, James Mangle definitely directed me and gave me some tips on how to react in that scene. And then um, John Bernthal as well was like, I want you to look me straight in the eyes because that's when I'm going to say the line to you. So I definitely got some direct interaction with the big wigs on the, on the film to, you know, make sure the team went well and they were very happy the ad's told me i did a wonderful job and everybody liked it so 
Very cool. So was it hard hard to look uh, John Bernthal in the eyes? or? Um, not really. I'll say as someone who hadn't done major acting in, in like it's about five years, um, the moment that they told me what I was doing internally, I was kind of freaking out because I'm like, wow, this is like really <laughs> a big opportunity. But I know right. that I'm on a professional set in a professional setting. So I just maintain professionalism. You know, when John spoke to me and introduced himself, I was very cordial, very respectful, shook his hand, introduced myself. Um, and he seemed kind of shocked, I think, because I was so composed. I think he thought maybe I might be a little like nervous <laughs> or freak out. Cause I, I felt like when I, cause I just approached him like a normal person and I felt like he kind of looked at me weird. Like I wasn't one of those like starstruck actors. Like, oh my God, what's happening? But, In my mind, I was just like, maintain, be serious, be professional, handle this. But on the inside, he was giggling <laughs> like a little school girl and his, and the insides yeah. went to mush. <laughs> oh yeah. I Around on set, I probably would have, but I think, you know what? I'm gonna make this opportunity, they're gonna remember me, and you know what? They actually did. So, so after that first day of shooting, well done. and you had all that, how long did you sit in your car before you pulled out going going through all the emotions as of what we just talked about, uh, trying to re solidify your insides and. Um, well, the, where they built the set was very far. So even when I stayed in LA with my in-laws, cause I lived in Orange County at the time, um, which is a, a long distance from Los Angeles, especially long from where we were shooting. So, um, I, I was a little starstruck after I was done because all the guys on set like made a big deal of me and they're like, dude, superstar, look at you, man. Oh, you're doing big stuff. <laughs> making a big deal of me too. So that just adds to it when all the guys are like, you know, punching you in the arm and telling you like, dude, look at you freaking doing it, man. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, I kind of got the hype out once we were done because all the guys were excited for me and I made a lot of friends. Like everybody's really friendly. So like just all of us working together became friends so quick and I'm very personable and, and you know, friendly as well. So when you develop something like that, it, it helps that you have that group that kind of helps you. So I had a long drive home. So literally on the drive home, I was still coming to terms with everything that had just happened. I was like, did this just happen? I got all my stack vouchers in four days that oh, I wow. need to join. Um, uh, and then I do this huge scene. All the guys are like, dude, superstar, look at you on camera with big actors and stuff. And, uh, you know, just, just, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was elated when I left set and I had a long drive home. It was at least two hours so um, I just kind of, you know, kind of sat with it that whole drive home, listening to music. I don't remember what was on. I was kind of still in cloud nine of, of that experience. So. <laughs> you get pulled uh, over. It by sounds it. like it was pretty satisfying, too. Yeah, definitely. Very much so. It's almost like when the officer pulls you over. Are you on something? Yeah. The high of being on set was with a great cast today. First right. film. <laughs> um, now, you are also on a show called whistling kitchen yes tell us a little bit about it yeah that was kind of a random thing i didn't know it was going to be as big as it turned out to be i i was in this like local pageant show that i found out about um and they were working on this tv show and it's basically this um asian chef and she uh cooks food from around the world and it's a reality show and they needed um more actors for the show and i have a very uh, french costume i have a french name obviously i have some french heritage on my dad's side um, so they're like, yeah, we want to have some world, you know, like world class 
class people on the show and show different ethnicities and cultures. So they said, if you can bring your French outfit and, you know, do the show, that'd be great. And they ended up using footage, I guess, for three seasons. So I did. I only shot one season of stuff. But they ended up splitting the footage up to different seasons, so it was really cool to see that I got that credit. I didn't, I didn't even know they put credit for me on that show because I didn't even know they released it yet. They didn't really give me a lot of info. But when I went to look at my IMDb again, I was like, oh, they added me on the show, great. Um, so yeah, it was just a quick thing. We tried some international foods the cook made, and um, you know, just kind of they got our reactions of how the food tasted and what we thought of it, and coming from different cultures. And this Asian chef is creating this, you know, this food, and we're tasting it and t- basically showing how we uh, we feel about the food so America. yeah it wasn't more of a reality show but they wanted to show a little more culture so they just added a lot of uh, ethnicities to the to the mix okay. hmm. interesting now the thing that really i found interesting as well is you are a part of the southern california paranormal detectives correct tell us about this group and tell us how you got involved yeah definitely well me and my best friend uh started the group in high school actually but i'll go back to the beginning where my interest started i'll try to keep it as brief as i can um at two years old i stayed at my grandmother's house which was a common thing so that wasn't strange but i actually saw my grandfather's spirit he came into the room i was sleeping in he passed when i was three months old so i never really knew him you know at least that i remember so I recognized him from pictures I had seen. Um, I freaked out. And when he saw that I freaked out, he disappeared. He was kind of transparent and glowing white. And he disappeared through the dining room hall uh, wall. And I ran to my grandma's room, told her what happened. She said it was just a bad dream. My mom built that story up as well, that it was just a bad dream. And uh, we kind of left it at that. And I had a lot of experiences. But in, like eight years later, they finally sat me down and said that our family sensitive and experiences the paranormal uh, quite a bit. My grandma experienced it in Italy before she came here to America. My mom experienced it here before me and my brother were born. Um, and that's when it really sparked my interest. I had my parents buy me books on it. I studied it. I watched a few shows that were existing back in the in the 90s, which like sightings, um, Unsolved Mysteries would talk about, you know, supernatural right, stuff right. too. Um, what else? Uh, X-Files obviously was, right. was you know, that uh, subject matter. Um, and then when I met my best friend in high school, he was interested in it. And we just kind of started pursuing going to haunted locations in California and checking them out. We had a teacher, our English teacher helped write letters to like the Queen Mary and all the big haunted places out here to see if we could get in. We had friends and family who had shops within big locations that were haunted and they got us access and we just started building it. And eventually we're officially a 501c3 nonprofit and we investigate UFOs, cryptozoology, which is like Bigfoot, Chupacabra, weird creatures, um, you know, even government conspiracy type stuff, which we didn't initially go into for, but people were afraid to tell us it was that. So they said it was ghosts. And then when they called us in, they're like, do you guys believe in conspiracies? We think there's mind control going on and stuff. So we've encountered a lot of weird things over the years doing this. So we started officially in 2000. We didn't um, become a nonprofit because you have to prove yourself to become a nonprofit. So in 2013, on my wedding day, oddly enough, I got the letter that we were officially a 501c3 nonprofit. So. Oh, cool. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. So, so that's kind of a quick overview. <laughs> so you, what makes y'all similar or different to like TAPS or some of these other groups that we see on, on the different cable networks? Um. It's hard to say exactly uh, when it comes to TV stuff, because unfortunately, TV likes to exaggerate a lot of stuff and cut out a lot of the boringness of what it is to really do this kind of stuff. Uh, We've I'll be honest, we've turned down at least a handful of deals because uh, I don't know if you know this, but reality TV is not reality. They script stuff. They they want you to be 
character. And to me, I have so much passion that I didn't want to sell myself short and sell what I've studied for a good chunk of my life short and just to be a character on a show. And I think one of the most insulting things about reality TV is they want you to be an actor, but they don't want to pay you an actor's wage. And they're like, oh, but it's the exposure. But you can build something off of this. But it's like, okay, but I'm an actual actor. So you're asking me to use my skills as an actor, but you're not going to pay me accordingly for using my skills as an actor because you want ratings and all this kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of the sad thing. But when it comes to the reality of the paranormal, there is truth within what a lot of these shows do. Um, I would say we're definitely similar to TAPS in the sense that we call all of ourselves skeptical believers. Most of us are actually full-blown believers of the paranormal. We've had our own experience and we believe it exists. But we know that we don't want to go into a case or a location or whatever it is um, already set that it's going to be haunted. It is a ghost. It is this. It is that. We go in um, and we got to test using the scientific method and see if we can determine it's something natural. And if it's not, then we can finally say, okay, this is probably something paranormal. This is a ghost. This is whatever. Um, So we're similar in that sense, but we just don't exaggerate. I think a lot of what we experience, uh, I've a lot of interviews I've done, people say I'm too calm when I talk about like the scariest things that have happened to me. But I think it's because I'm trying to calm people down when they're dealing with the craziest paranormal thing. Right. And you can't do that if you're acting afraid. So <laughs> I think I'm very calm because I know that it, if I remain calm, my clients or people that are scared dealing with this stuff will be calm as well. Because if I go in shaking and saying like, well, this scares me, I'm, they're not going to have a lot of confidence in me. <laughs> or, or it's going to be the opposite effect where... They believe you too much, and if something bangs on the window from outside, they're going to believe it's totally different because they're feeding off of you. Exactly, yeah. So you, you try to we try to be very neutral uh, when it comes to the paranormal and, and approach it that way. And a lot of people do approach it that way. There's some others that obviously exaggerate it a lot more and, and try to be more aggressive and, and rude and insulting when they go into these places. Um, we approach it with respect. We treat it like somebody's inviting us into their home. Like, and I mean, and I don't just mean actual clients. I mean, like if there's, if there's sp- supposedly spirits or entities in the home, right. we walk in and show them respect and reverence too, not just the clients. And we say, we don't mean to disturb you. We're just trying to help these people. We're trying to, so we create, we try to create a very peaceful environment to deal with this stuff rather than going in and saying, like, hey, what are you doing? Want to fight? You know, <laughs> like, that's just how we approach it. So, so what, what's been this? creepiest location you've been to yeah i'll start off with that one first creepiest location you've ever been to creepiest location i've ever been to let's see um now do you mean creepy as an activity or creepy as in it looked creepy and like really gave off that creepy vibe like this this is it looks creepy uh let's do both okay um as far as uh creepy goes i think uh the suicide bridge in pasadena california uh is known to be extremely haunted during the great depression many people committed suicide off that bridge um so it has that it has that aura and that energy of of creep creepiness to it because you know that lots and lots of people have died there and even past the great depression it's people have committed suicide off that bridge Um, So I think there's just a weird feeling there um, of sadness and loss uh, that that kind of really gave you that feeling and immediately gave you that feeling. So uh, I think that was probably the creepiest like that I felt when I went in there. I was just like, you feel something creepy Um, as far as. like a place that looked really creepy, uh, a place not too far from the suicide bridge actually, uh, is the, uh, Oh God, where am I? Um, it's, it's a dam that's not too far from the bridge. 
and uh, it's a really creepy place. It looks creepy. There's tagging everywhere. It's very old. There were floods there. People died there. And like, it just looks very old and dilapidated and like destroyed. So it gives off that vibe that like something is not right there. And just, and that's just by looking at it. That's not even if you go close to it and walk into it. That's like, yeah, this is creepy. <laughs> uh, creepiest thing you've ever experienced. Creepiest thing I've ever experienced. Uh, creepiest thing I've ever experienced, probably, um, I would, uh, there's, there's kind of two that are in my head right now, but the one I always say would probably be, we did a case in Bellflower, California. It's it's not too far from where I'm currently at. It's it's in Los Angeles, just a little, not in the main city. Um, we did a case, investigated the case, and uh, this is the first time I've ever had something physically happen to me. And uh, the client's sister came in the house very late when we were investigating at night and she gave off a weird vibe. I was breaking down a piece of uh, equipment on the staircase and she walked down and I braced myself like something big was coming at me. But it was this little petite, you know, Latinx girl walking down the stairs and I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm like, I just got a weird vibe that she was probably the source of the activity in the home. Um, for some reason, she decided to focus on me. So as I'm moving around the home, breaking down all our equipment, this is like five in the morning. Um, her eyes don't leave me. They're following me all around the house. I go behind walls. I move here and there. And I just got a creepy feeling from her. Uh, finally, I had to put a piece of equipment in a bag that was right next to her on the couch. So as I approach, I go, I put the equipment away in the bag and I caught eyes with her for maybe five, 10 seconds. It was probably that quick. And all of a sudden, when I caught eyes with her, my chest got super tight. My eyes started to water and I couldn't breathe. It was the first time I actually ran out of the house. I ran out because I felt for my safety at that point. Like this, wow. I don't know what's happened. Is there something wrong? So I ran out of the house just outside the threshold and I immediately could breathe again. Uh, my wife, who's part of the team, chased after me, checked on me. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm not going back in the house though right now. I don't know what happened. Um, you guys finish taking the equipment out and let's call it a night. Um, the next morning I wake up and I had a circular burn mark on my chest and I can't explain that. It went away within about a week, but there was a circular red mark and it looked like it looked like something had burned me on my oh, chest wow. and there was a tightness was that and I've never experienced that most I've had spiritual people tell me I have authority on the other side and most things are afraid to mess with me but apparently whatever was messing with me that night was not afraid of me so it must have been someone from Shelby's crew knowing that you're going to be doing the movie <laughs> they knew that eventually I would be in Ford versus Ferrari so they wanted to get me way before that it was Ken Miles yeah <laughs> way to bring it around Mike hey I try it's like a track go around in circles there you go um sorry Derek was interrupted or was no, I no I said what I wanted to say <laughs> one are there a couple of locations you want to investigate that you haven't yet uh there definitely are I mean there's a lot but uh like on my dream list of places uh I was born in Long Beach California it's home to the Queen Mary one of the most considered one of the most haunted locations in the world um, I, I work there for Halloween. I'm one of their main monsters for their Halloween event. I've done their commercials. I'm on merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I've never actually been able to like investigate, like really stay on the ship and do a real investigation with my team. That would be a dream come true, but they charge like crazy amounts of money to do that. And I, I tried to work out a deal with them since we're a nonprofit. Like instead of charging us, you can actually put the price down as a donation to our nonprofit. And that way it's a tax break for you. And you'll, you know, you'll get money back at the end of the year. But I guess they really want money because they didn't want to work that out with me. So, um, but, uh, but that would be definitely one of my top locations. And to be honest, anywhere in Europe, I would love to go like an old castle in Europe, something like that, you know, cause you go to places that have lots of history and you tend to find a lot of stuff. So I would love to really go, go to Europe. You know, I've been to Italy, 
Um, I have family in Italy, so I've seen stuff while I was in Italy. So uh, I would love to actually spend some time, maybe do the Roman Colosseum, you know, something like oh, that. That would be interesting. Time and, and check history out because I love history. So Very cool. the United Kingdom would be fun, probably. Yes, yeah. definitely. A lot in the UK as well. Yeah, all of Europe, pretty much. And the East Coast. I'm on. I'm on the West Coast. The East Coast is where people first settled when they came to the Americas. So there's so much more history on the East Coast, and uh, they joke that you can't like take a step without running into like a ghost story <laughs> coast because there's so much history there. We actually have uh, um, here in Massachusetts. We have a place right up the street from my house where I am right now that's supposed to be pretty haunted. They say, nice. and uh, it's it's a pretty famous place. Uh, it's a mansion. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the mansion now, and it's totally. I was going to say that's my funny. mind. I'll probably recognize it if you tell me. <laughs> See, I I live in Kissimmee, Florida. Obviously, if I'm nope. working at Disney, um, yep. and of course, yeah, I'm just a few hours away from St. Augustine. And of course, the lighthouse yeah. is oh. a big. Yeah. It's a big one. Definitely. Yeah, I'm actually uh, talking with a guy in Florida right now who uh, books a lot of stand-up comedians. And whenever restrictions and things slow down, um, I'm going to actually get flown out to Florida to do some stand-up comedy. And it's kind of like an audition, but it's like a paid gig. And if it goes well, I'm going to probably tour out there and in Georgia because that's where this guy has all his connections at. Oh, cool. But he said he's going to take me to some of the haunted spots since he knows I like the paranormal. He's going to show me around Florida. (laughs) The the place I was thinking of, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the name. It's the S.K. Pierce Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I've definitely heard that name before. That is right up the street from my house. That's they cool. Just, I mean, if I live down the street from there. <laughs> <laughs> it just, well, they won't let, let anybody in at the moment. My wife really wants to go. But they just, yeah. it just recently got, got bought by some people who have been renovating it. And yeah. it looks beautiful now. Nice. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's one of the sad tragedies of being in the paranormal field is so many people come in and, like, block off and monetize these haunted locations. And it, it just makes it difficult mm-hmm. to enjoy the because they put all these paywalls, even behind just like checking the place out. It's like, oh yeah, you can come. We're gonna charge you this and this and that, and then, like we do exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it, to me, it's kind of sad because it's history. Because I'm a like I said, I'm a big history buff. That's one of the main reasons I like I love this stuff because I love looking at history and finding out you know what happened at these locations. And it's like, wow, imagine going there and checking it out. But a lot of the time you're stuck behind paywalls, even if you're a professional and you're known. Like it's still like, oh well, we got to make money, so. <laughs> Now, being being Jewish, talking about me, would the, any of the concentration camps be something you'd want to check out? Possibly, but in cases like that, I think uh, I have a respect for the tragedy that happened, and I would probably ask somebody from that religion or culture permission first and how to go about it, because to me, it's a very sensitive subject, and I don't take yeah. it lightly. I think it's very serious. So I, I would not mind, but I would talk to people who know the history, who know the culture and get permission and the best way to go about it because i think that's that would be the best way to go about it to show respect to the tragedy right, that happened right. but so possibly with permission and respect to the people okay. themselves okay that would be i that would be a tough place just to visit just forget about paranormal just for the history of it and stuff i don't i don't know i don't know if i could do it 
It's on my yeah. bu- it's on my bucket list. I, I would love to uh, visit a few of the camps uh, in Germany and Poland. Mm, mm. Definitely, uh, just just for history wise. Like I said, I'm a history buff. So, and in that sense too, I'll, I'll actually add another note to that for me personally. Uh, like I said, I come from a family of sensitive, so we're very sensitive to this stuff. Um, I've been to, to places that weren't known and we discovered were um, mass uh, mass graves for uh, indigenous people of America. And I mean, the emotion and the energy is so strong. We've broken down crying because you feel the pain. You can hear the screams. You can you can feel the, the sorrow. Um, oh, so, wow. I mean, even be worried about that in the concentration camps as well, mm-hmm. because I'm I'm empathic. I care about my fellow human beings. No matter who you are, I believe I, I'm very much one equality for everyone. And I wish everyone happiness and to be treated well. And that doesn't always happen. And in these particular cases, some of the worst tragedies took place to certain yeah. groups of people. And it's it it's difficult to feel that kind of energy because those aren't happy places. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can say. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, go ahead, Derek. Um, no, I was just going to say that I can only imagine what it would feel like to 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 just to stand in in one of those places and, and just I don't know it's just crazy yeah, yeah. no it definitely is I'll, I'll tell you my experience because you reminded me exactly of the experience I had I now I don't remember what part of California was we, we took a long long drive and it was in this a uh, condo complex um, through research uh, they kind of changed where the mass grave was historically but it was near the the place that we investigated and the condo that was on that particular spot was right above where the mass grave was and it was only that condo activity so we were literally above where it was we actually heard knocking from under the floors and we could like i said we we could feel the like there was there was women and children that were thrown in this mass grave like we heard screaming crying and like it was like all of us broke down crying because we were literally above a mass grave that was covered up purposefully covered up because they were trying to cover up what they did these indigenous people uh that were on the land that the uh, military wanted i guess for whatever reasons uh so yeah that was very intense and that's yeah like i've I've stood on the threshold of that kind of tragedy and it is it is difficult couldn't imagine yeah, it was it was one of our toughest investigations. Um, and uh, there was a lot of activity in that home because the people who actually lived on that property had some antiques from their like great great grandfather who happened to have a connection to the people who did the thing. So it was it was not just that it was covered over, but there were actually artifacts in that house from when the thing took place from people who were connected with that thing. So the spirits were more restless because they were being reminded of the tragedy that took place. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that took a lot of research. We found that out after the fact when we researched uh, the guy's family name, his lineage, and and where, where everything came from. We're like, that's, you should probably, it might help to get rid of those objects because if you get rid of those objects, they may not be reminded of the tragedy that took place as much. It may not bother them right. as much. So Interesting. It, may, it makes you realize there are a lot of places in this world where big, massive tragedies have happened. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Very, yeah, I know. It's, it, it's, it's it's surprising when you really research history and you try to get it from different perspectives. I think that's the key is if you look at only certain perspectives of history, you only get that perspective and it's not the winners write it. So if they did something wrong, they usually erase that part and put the nice stuff in. Right. But yeah. a, a bigger view of history by studying different perspectives from different people, the losing side too, and the winning side and the people on the sidelines, you get a better grasp mm. of what happened. Like when like sitting in America, like you're just like, like I'm literally almost every, 
everywhere is, is native land that we're living on. And a good percentage of our cases, even in California, we always find out that when, you know, they started building stuff, they found artifacts or bones or whatever, and that used to be native land. And then the clients call us and say, my house is crazy. And you're like, and then when you ask them what's going on, they're like, well, they did find this pottery under our house or like next to it. And then you're like, oh, you think we figured out what the problem is? <laughs> you disturbed the burial ground and now it's uh, letting loose. Well, now, I was reading on the site that you, you tend to be the, the audio and video specialist for your team. Um, being an audio engineer myself, I, I love software. What software, I, this is where I'm going to get a little techie here. What software do you use when you um, are playing back the, the recordings? I mean, are you, are, um, you, are you going fancy with like what we see with, uh, with on Ghost Hunters and Taps, which I still haven't figured out what software they're using um yeah there's a little different software uh for me uh i have a few pieces i use as a recording artist myself and doing music i have pro tools okay. so and i use lot and pro tools and i switch between the two between vocal recording and actual music production um so either or i usually use but i'm just more um inclined to use pro tools to let out sounds and stuff so if we're reviewing audio and we think we hear something we'll we'll take that clip put it into pro tools and if it you know knowing sound it's like if it's a higher pitch we'll take down the lower frequencies or move the frequencies right, right. around try and pull out that audio uh video wise you know sometimes i use stabilization if the camera's shaky and we think we caught something we'll stabilize the frames and stuff and i usually do that with i have sony vegas that i usually use for um video editing i use final yeah. cut as well and final cut on my mac but um i did some work with sony and i got some of their software so i ended up using it and love, enjoyed it love vegas pro yeah Definitely. That's what I used to originally record our podcast. I went from Vegas to Cakewalk, and I'm now using Studio One. Oh, nice! Yeah, uh, but like, but when we but when I do final edit from Wave to to MP3, I'm using SoundForge at the moment. Oh, okay, yeah, Western. yeah, yeah. I went to school for radio, TV, and film as well, not just psychology and parapsychology. Um, so I studied a lot of audio and video stuff, and I learned most of you know my skills, you know, doing that in in audio and engineering and stuff like that. So that's where I got most Very of my cool. skills. I all those programs. I worked at my college radio station. So I had that yeah. experience. Let me use the boards and the turntables and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. Uh, Derek, you got anything else? Um, mm, no, not that I can think of. Where can people find you online? Yeah, definitely. My main website is www.mcpierre.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P I E double R E.com. And it links to all my stuff. It's mostly my music, but you can find my comedy, my paranormal stuff, uh, all my social media and other accounts. Uh, if you want to find me on social media, my handle is at talented. That's talented with an extra ED kind of made up my own word because I do so many things. So wanted to kind of like brand myself that way. Um, and then uh, paranormaldetectives.org is our paranormal website, our official paranormal website that has like just paranormal stuff related there. So Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us this week. I was blessed. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. It was a fun conversation. Well, thank you. And uh, so again, thank you very much. And uh, go check out Ford versus Ferrari. Go check out... Um, I just had it. Whistling Kitchen. Where, where can people find Whistling Kitchen? 
you know, on that one, I'm not exactly sure. I know um, it's it's forecasted to be an international show, so I don't know okay. if they did releases yet. Um, so I, I'll need to check on that. I, I haven't seen, like I said, they didn't give me a lot of info. I just kind of shot it. I worked with them and they <laughs> put it out. So sometimes that happens on these acting jobs. Well, Google it, see where it is. Maybe it's something online. You can watch it online. Uh, so again, we, we want to thank John Pierre. Genioli. Genioli. <laughs> Derek, I'm not calling you Zod, so don't don't worry. Um, so thank you for coming on, we'll see. and uh, we'll see. it was a, it was a blast. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. I've got a great show for you to check out: the Pop Culture Show with Barnes, Leslie, and Cubby. These guys fly through all the latest pop culture news, like TV, movies, gadgets, celebrity news, and more. Barnes is a pop culture junkie, musician, and TV aholic. He's also an actor. He's in that new Steve Carell movie that just came out called Irresistible. He was also a recurring character in Prison Break on Fox. Leslie has an interesting background as she's a power exec at a cable TV network and is down into it every day with musicians, actors, personalities, and has her hand on the pulse of Hollywood gossip. Cubby is the morning show personality on one of New York City's top radio stations. This guy knows everyone and pulls in some really cool guests. These three have all known each other for over two decades and it shows. Really tight shows. And you can tell they are all friends. I I think that makes a difference when I'm listening to podcasts. It's obvious from their collection of guests that they are all connected. They get many celebrity guests that are tough to get for a podcast. Pretty solid collection of pop culture talk from all over the map. Huge variety, which makes each show unique. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Pop Culture Show. So is this live? No, we're kind of pre-recorded. Um, welcome back to the show. Uh, we want to thank Jean Paul for being, or Jean Paul did it again. Jean Pierre, we want to thank him for being on with us. It was, it was cool. It was actually cool talking to someone who does paranormal stuff. Yeah, I'm not really a big paranormal guy myself, but he was pretty cool. I, I will admit, I got hooked on Ghost Hunters up until uh, the guy who's the host of Expedition Unknown came on and did their Halloween special with them and kind of took over the show. I'm like, okay, um, yeah, I'm done with this now. They jumped the shark. But I always found it interesting of what could be causing the the meters to, to go off or w- when they see different things. It's like, okay, is that, are, are these things that they, they think they're seeing? You know, one of those forced, I don't want to say forced, they were going to say Force Ghost for a second yeah. there. Force Ghost. Um, something where, you know, it's, it's almost like they're looking for so, looking for something so much, they, they think they're actually seeing something. I will say my wife watches, like, too many of the ghost shows, personally. And, uh, like, the ghost, hus- ghost Hunters were probably one of the least annoying ones to me because yeah. at least it wasn't, everything's a ghost, everything's a ghost. But... Some of those shows are just ridiculous. Ghost Hunters wasn't bad. And I'm glad they were of the modern era. They're the ones who started it off. But like the one on the Travel Channel. Oh, my God. Annoying oh, as I know. hell. Yes. I know what one you're talking about. I, oh, I almost swore for a second there. Oh, I hate them so much. I hate them. Oh, it, it, there was. Was, they, they get the mirror. Oh, my God. Almost dropping the mirror. Oh, my God. Did you see that? Yeah. It, it all of a sudden just went up. I was like, yeah. okay, you're overreacting. Yep. It, it oh, drives nuts. Kills 
kills the their case for you know oh did you see that yeah it was nothing i saw it you're you're way overreacting yeah well it's like the the one year they um ghost hunters i want to say that when they were at the stanley in colorado the stanley hotel which was the inspiration for the shining all right right um they uh they had all the um they were in the basement area, and they were doing this a live episode for Halloween. And I always wondered: Did someone throw like a small micro, you know, a small speaker back in there somewhere? And someone's on the other end just talking into it. You know, is it a setup? And I always wonder that on some of these on the shows. Now, nothing, nothing to say that that hasn't happened potentially with with Jean Pierre. But on the shows, you know, as he said, you know, the reality shows. There's a lot more direction to it than right than the actual, which thing. is what sometimes you got to try to remember to take those with a grain of salt too. So it makes you want- they, they edit they edit stuff and well, it's like we what I've heard was storage wars. They would uh, here here's a locked locker. Right. And the producers will actually go through, see what's in the lockers first to figure out what's going to be highlighted, put a new lock on it just to get right. cut. And if there was nothing truly exciting, then they were going to throw throw some stuff in it. Because uh, Dave, mm. the guy who goes, yep, called him out on doing stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, but how about this? Today was another fan first Friday with Hasbro. Did you hear about this? I did not. Until just now. Well, has I'm excited. Well, I probably won't be able to. I'm afraid to see how much this is worth. Uh, um, and I didn't realize we broke this when we talked about Transformers Unicron project. That was the first HasLab project, Hasbro HasLab project, Hasbro Pulse HasLab. That it was a Pop Insider that had it first. Ah. So we're we're a partner with the with the right people. So congratulations, sir. I wish I could get that one. Um. Well, Hasbro's Haslab uh, has um, introduced a new project. It is a Marvel Legends series X Men Sentinel. Yeah. And this thing stands twenty six point three inches tall. Nice. <laughs> and features an internal frame comprising of 260 individual pieces. Wow. LED lights wow. in its head and chest and boasts seven, oh, cool. 72 points of articulation. Oh. 20 in each hand alone. Wow. Also comes with an 18-inch tentacle accessory and a Marvel Legends 6-inch bat. Bastion, B-A-S-T-I-O-N, Bastion figure Bastion. with alternate Sentinel Prime head. Oh, that's cool. That's this, really is, cool. this is the first Marvel-branded project to utilize Has, HasLab. Um, and it was debuted today as we're recording. Um, uh, and... Uh, According to Hasbro, a minimum of 6,000 figures must be backed at $349.99. And you have until my birthday, August 24th, to back it. 11.59 on my birthday, p.m. Maybe uh, maybe we can tell the family it would make a good birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> my family would look at me and go, yeah, no. 
Um, but it seems like that's not going to be an issue because, again, here we are, July 10th at time of recording. They need 6,000 figures. It was released. It debuted this afternoon. Um, when James Zahn from Pop Insider wrote this earlier today, it, he doesn't have a time. They only have date stamp, not a time stamp as well. Uh, it had 3,161 commitments. I'm going to go to the link and see yes. how many we have now. Holy crap. Okay. 4,631 backers. Yeah. With still 45 days to go. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's only 44 days till my birthday? Holy crap. <laughs> but, oh, this thing is gorgeous. Mm, it is. It's really cool. The poses they put this in. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. 20 points of articulation in the hand alone. No, uh, that's insane. Uh-huh. It's really insane. So, yeah, hop on to it because it may not happen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, we'll bring this one up here since we're busy with guests the next few weeks on uh, Wookiee Radio. Add some flair to your life with Baby Yoda pens. And these are not sold. These are not the ones sold at Disney. <clears throat> So, Poink has several pins inspired by the child, and they're manufactured by Sales One. Um, these, these actually look pretty decent. Yeah, I like them. I've started to uh, I've started to kind of get into pins lately. I, I used to have no use for them, but now I don't know. I'm kind of like uh, these might be pretty good. Yeah, these are um, measuring about one point three to one point five inches. And they range from nine ninety nine to twelve ninety nine. So there, there's some, there's some decent pins. Mm. And then going to their link, man, they got some other stuff too. They got Brothor <laughs> and Babu Frick. Oh, the Babu Frick pen, dude! You gotta click the link. Which link? At the bottom it says you could check them, check them all out here, along with some more great stuff from Sales One. You see it? You go under if you when you're in the article, go all the way down. To where you see the three pins, this is my good side, power nap, and when your song comes on. Oh, okay. There's some good stuff on here. I'm going to have to check out their, their site a bit more. Ah. These are cool. This is cool. Yeah. Ah. That Babu Frick's great. Venom Groot looks great. Ah. Bro Thor. Ah, <laughs> mm. uh, Also, too, from Mezco Toys. Apparently, they're doing a Build-A-Figure Collectibles featuring Mystery Inc. I only bring this up because it's Mezco, and Mezco's got some cool stuff. Um, I mean, okay, these are these are more, do- they say Build-A-Figure, but they, they have a very dollish look. Um, but once put together, Scooby-Doo stands eight inches tall and features six points of articulation. Uh, the rest of the crew are... 10 inches tall and have five points of articulation. And then the costumes are, pre- are pretty show accurate as well. They're not bad. Available figures expect to ship between December and February and are available for pre order for 200 bucks. 200 bucks? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll take a pass on it, but some people might enjoy it. Okay. Um. Then, as since we're still talking toys and collectibles, Walmart is dropping dozens of exclusive collectibles next week. 
crazy. Uh, if you haven't heard about Walmart's Collector Con yet, you're not alone. <laughs> Which I have not. Um, the retailer hasn't posted about it or promoted this upcoming online event, but it should be on your radar. So next Friday, July 17th, um, at 10 a.m., Walmart is set to drop more than 60 exclusives, according to its webpage. There's wow. even a countdown wow. countdown clock and an official hashtag, although the hashtag doesn't have any posts on Twitter or Instagram at this time. Uh, one of the flagship releases is Yumi's Harry Potter Magical Capsule Collectibles. Hmm. Uh, which, what are they? I will check Madeline's link, because we have had Madeline on the show. Oh, okay. Show you. Uh, is it popping up? There you go. Interesting. Not bad. I'm sure Harry Potter fans will love them. I'm sure my daughter will. <laughs> Since she loves Harry Potter more than she loves stars, but still loves Star Wars. Um, also, other merch, including Mondo, uh, McFarlane, Beast Kingdom, and Marvel's and Hasbro's Marvel Legends. Uh, we also know uh, Monogram International's Comic-Con International San Diego Comic-Con exclusives will be available through Walmart Collectibles page as Wait, well. Say, say that again? Monogram International's <laughs> Comic-Con International San Diego SDCC exclusives. <laughs> <laughs> so you want me to try that again? No. That's quite all right. <laughs> um, it's unclear whether these will be part of the Walmart Collector Con or just part of Walmart's regular collectible offerings. I didn't even know they had a collectibles page on their site. I didn't either. I've been looking at it, and there's some pretty interesting stuff on there. Pretty, pretty cool. So how did you find it? It's uh, in the article. Okay. If you click on where it says, just where it says Walmart. You know what? I may well, I have to bookmark this. <laughs> <laughs> this this is, see monogram stuff? Whatever they've got with the Mandalorian, the child, and IG-11, that looks cool. Yeah. The Slimer looks awesome as well. Y- yeah. This is, this is pretty awesome. I did not know this part of their site existed. Me either. It's crazy. So they're saying uh, more reveals coming for Star Wars Black Series, War for Cybertron, Marvel Legends, and G.I. Joe. Apparently the G.I. Joe stuff is out. Uh, the first wave is, yeah, but it's hard to get now. Yeah. I've been trying. So first wave is what? Just uh... Snake Eyes, Deluxe Snake Eyes, Destro. Scarlet, Duke. Uh, Duke, Scarlet, Roadblock. Okay. And I think that's it. See, I wouldn't mind getting Scarlet either. I want them all. <laughs> uh, to finish the story. Jumped on that earlier. So I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out what's what finally gets dropped. Yeah. So I can't believe I can't believe I'm, I'm gonna say this, but I gotta pay attention to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just just to say hmm. that makes you want to say it will test your head. And your mind and your brain. 
Ain't that the truth? And then afterwards, you're sitting there going two, four, niner, five. <laughs> and then me personally, I'd be flushing the toilet again. But hey, it's just me. <laughs> Don't run away from your feelings. Uh, yeah. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're afraid. You're very afraid because I'm active on the soundboard. <laughs> but the crowds on that day, it'll be like. <laughs> so, um, final story of the night. Saved one of the best for last. The Arrowverse. Well, first off, I'm going to say, before I get into this, Stargirl got renewed for her second season. Yes. Yeah. I am loving that show. This is done right. Mm, It really is. I I was not that familiar with Stargirl, and this is a show that I kind of care about. I know a little bit about the JSA, but I love the fact that she's creating her own little JSA. I know that's really cool, and it's wild, and I and I love how they're still playing on the idea that she still may or may not be Starman's daughter. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how she is in the comics. If she, if we discover she's not or not, I don't remember. But uh, not really. Anyway, I don't really read Star Girl. I don't know if the show's going to cause me to read Star Girl, but I'm going to keep watching the show mm. until they they yeah. take it like they did with. The Flash, because I I was enjoying the Flash until they went. I don't I don't with it. I don't know if they will. Yeah, I know. Me too. Now I'm starting to get a little. Uh, about the only will go that way with this. About the only other show of the Arrowverse that I'm really watching is Legends. Yeah, I am still digging the, Legends. The, yeah, and then I'm interested Again, in the crossovers. Also, yeah, but it, also because Legends has gone its own way, yeah. its own direction. Yeah, it's great. They just fully embraced it. You're, you're throwing a little Paul McCartney there. It's going its own way. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, excuse me. No. Go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the Arrowverse expands with its first Black Batwoman. Hmm. Now, this is interesting. So, you know, well, Ruby Rose is left. Yeah. Um, Don't know. We still haven't gotten the official reason why. And it's okay. Whether it's personal reasons or or medical reasons for her, um, because there was some questions that she had a back injury. Um, Right. But she has finally, they have finally cast her replacement as Javica Leslie. Or Javisha? Uh, sure. Javisha Leslie? Anyway, she will be taking on the role of Batwoman. Um, whereas Rose played Kate Kane straight from the comics, Leslie will be playing Ryan Wilder, a brand new character. I like that. Give her time. This character will be then incorporated into the comics. It's the way it always oh. is. Think about it. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, characters from the movies have eventually worked their way into the comics. Uh, now, Wilder is described as a likable person who's a little goofy and can also kill someone with her bare hands. Previously a drug runner. Okay. Previously a drug runner, she now lives in a van with her plant. Down by the river. 
Uh, she's highly skilled, undisciplined in her talents, and ready to save the day. You know what? I just gotta say, they should have her live down by the river, but never mention it. Yeah. Just have it, you know, every time they show her van, it is down by the river. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, now, similar to Kane, Wilder is also a lesbian, something Leslie says she's honored to portray as a bisexual woman. Cool. All right. So they're still keeping the um, the intent on the Batwoman character going, which I'm okay with. doesn't bother me. Yeah, no, no. Um, now, Leslie previously worked on the CBS series God Friended Me and MacGyver, as well as BET's The Family Business. Uh, obviously, this is her first time traveling into the world of the Cape Crusader, um, but I'm sure everyone will be ready to see it. Second season of Batwoman is expected to premiere in January. Hmm. I'm not familiar with this actress, which is kind of good because I like I like uh, I like to have like an unfamiliar, unknown yeah. person in these roles for me. I, I'm just curious: Are they going to do continue with the red wig with the cow with her, or are they going to change I, it up? I hope. Uh, I, I, I think they should, should probably change it up, or should they go uh, with the with the whole? Um, Stormy Maya look. So gotta give a shout out to Stormy because <laughs> hashtag not a wig and then let her go full all natural curls. Mm-hmm. That could be interesting too. Good, good. So uh so yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got. Any final thoughts? Oh that's my final thought. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess we can both officially say um, this is our first show that we've recorded since we both returned back to work. Uh, Yeah, true, true. So um, feels a little weird. Yeah, it does. (laughs) At least for me, it's been been 11 weeks. I never realized just how much a return to work would, would be so mentally emotionally exhausting yeah i know right and then of course the heat has yeah. not helped either yeah. yeah uh i also want to say congrats to the crew over at mighty marvel geeks which i am a part of uh we just recorded this week our 300th issue hey congratulations and we had guest food network star and you see him on marvel's eat the universe and his cookbook comes out July 28th called Marvel Eat the Universe. Justin Warner. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. familiar with him. That was a fun show. You'll like this episode, this issue. Yeah, I like him. He's cool. I, I've, I've seen somebody. Oh, I don't. I could deal with him. I'm not a big fan. I'm like, no. I, I mean, I was a fan of his before. Right. But being on the, sh- uh, being on the show with him or you know, chatting with him, I'm actually a bigger fan. Um, cool. And, and I hope one day he gets to come to Epcot for uh, Flower and Garden or um, mm. um, not Flower and Garden, for Food and Wine uh, to, to do a cooking demo because I would love to meet up with him. Mm. Yeah. And, and it definitely I'm taking my copy of, the, of his cookbook to get him to sign it. Oh, yeah. So um, but I'm going to put out this little PSA. Remember, folks. Social distance. If you need to know how much space you need, it's either two Great Danes in between you or four beagles or 18 chihuahuas. <laughs> so on that note, I'll leave you asking. Want to know more? 
So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. I'm feeling a little, uh, anxious, if you know what I mean.